Hey, everybody. Welcome to another edition of the Surf and Sales Podcast. I'm Scott Lease here with my friend, as always, Richard Harris. And we are joined by a good buddy of mine and fellow surfer, Paul Klein. How's it going, Paul? Going great, Scott. Thanks for having me, man. Now, is Paul, he better than our other guest who was a surfer? Is he better than Taylor? I don't, I don't, I don't know. He, I know Paul has definitely been to more parts of the world surfing than, uh, than Taylor has. I know that yeah, much. Well, yeah, check, check back with me uh, nine months from now after I've got another 100 days in the water. <laughs> You're going to do 100 days in nine months? Uh, we'll, we'll see. We'll see. Um, as I was just telling Scott, um, I just uh, recently uh, um, left my last run. Good. I mean, awesome, perfect situation, actually, um, right after an acquisition. So it was hugs and kisses all around um, for goodbyes, which is, doesn't always happen, as I'm sure you guys know, working in the startup world. But um, so, yeah, I'm going to take – take some time off to surf, do a little bit of, uh, well, podcasting now too. Um, and then we'll kind of see where the, where the road takes me. Well, congratulations, Paul. I mean, uh, yeah. I know, <clears throat> I know your story and you know, you've been at cover wallet. That's the, the company that Paul's <clears throat> been growing and they had a good fortune to get acquired recently. So some well-earned, uh, time off is headed your way, but tell, tell everybody, um, you know, what, <clears throat> For context, like, tell everybody what you've been selling most recently and like what Cover Wallet's product was and like what the sales cycle is like and the price point and that kind of thing. Yeah, sure, sure. So um, it's a lot harder to explain that shortly. So I'll try and be as concise as possible, but um, because it's insurance and not SaaS, which is a little bit different. But essentially, what Cover Wallet is, is it's an uh, online platform for. Uh, small and medium-sized businesses to purchase insurance policies online, which, I mean, if you're, most of you guys sitting home, you're probably thinking, what, doesn't that exist? Like, you know, we have insurance for car insurance and, uh, you know, you can buy your health insurance online. Um, but uh, because of the difference, um, you know, in underwriting guidelines and things like that for, you know, take a coffee shop in uh, um, New York City, for example. Um, the risks associated with your business and then the, uh, the guidelines that the, the government puts in place to, that you need to do to protect your business um, could be completely different from here to South Beach, et cetera. So um, the, the human work in basically assessing how much um, a policy should cost um, is really expensive and time consuming. Um, and what CoverWall does... So would you, would, this would be an SMB type sale. Is it more yeah, yeah. transactional side than enterprise side, right? Yeah, ex exactly. So we, so our higher end deals were with, uh, were, were, you know, in the hundred K range with uh, tech startups. And then we worked with a lot of bigger logistics companies, but I mean, we had, I think, I mean, we were bearing down on close to 30, 35,000 customers um, when I left. Um, and uh, I mean, I would say 95% of those are, yeah, small mom pop. Um, organizations but um, about 50% of our revenue came from the other you know 5% so um, so there's there's a, there was a range we had different team segmentations but yeah the majority was pretty transactional and so you've been building sales teams in New York City you know for for a while now I mean you got your start at Yelp and then you know worked with me at Main Street Hub and and opened the office in New York there and, but you've also opened and led teams uh, in Arizona as well. So how did you get into sales? At what point in your life did you realize that you were a, a salesperson and, and, you know, wanted to go into sales leadership? That's a good, that's a great question. Um, so I didn't, I mean, I think like a lot of people, sales kind of 
um, I kind of fell into sales. Um, I graduated in uh, 08 with a degree in uh, um, or dual major in econ and finance. So, you know, thought that I wanted to be a banker. And uh, obviously, that was not the right time for that um, economically. Um, so uh, I got a call from one or actually a, a Facebook message from one of my buddies who uh, I used to work or work with and study with in a econ class to come join this company called Yelp. Um, and and he was like, yeah, it's this, this cool young company. You know, we have more traffic than ESPN and we have a keg in the office. And, you know, that's, that's all a 22 year old really needs to hear. That's all <laughs> right? Scott and needed it, to hear, right? All those, at Scott that, might have chosen ESPN. Yeah, at, at that time, that would have worked for me probably, yeah. <laughs> so um, anyway, before, look, before I knew it, I was uh, one of the first sales reps in Yelp's uh, New York City office. Um, and uh, after about a year of really stellar growth there, um, uh, they raised a, a big Series B from uh, from Bessemer, and uh, went to had to had to really start scaling. And they chose um, Scottsdale, Arizona, which um, many companies are are now choosing as one of their hubs to scale. Um, and they took a you know a, a, a highly uh, talented team of you know the top you know five ten um, people from sales, account management, um, and operations to build that team out. And I was one of the founding members there. Um, shortly was promoted to, uh, to management after moving to Scottsdale and then helped scale that office from, um, you know, zero to, uh, 150, um, in about a year. Um, and, and then, so let me stop you. Let me stop you for sure. a second. I, I've been a part of a lot of rapid growth, zero to 150. I think what you said in about a year, that is right at the top of like, what's really possible, you know? Yeah without absolutely losing your mind. Sure, so, sure. <laughs> tell everybody what that experience was, was like. Yeah, sure. So, so that, I mean, it was, cra it was crazy. And obviously we had to ramp up to that. So for the, in the first six months, we probably hired, you know, 40 or 50 people. And then as we scaled and brought in more um, leadership from the other offices, we probably hired the next 80 in the next, you know, six months or so. Um, the, the, thing about, the thing about when you're growing that fast is, I guess there's a couple of things. The first thing is time management is critical because you're spending so much of your time recruiting and training and it's got to be all hands on deck, just like we had at Main Street Hub, Scott, where as a manager, you're really, really like a micro CEO in the company running your own business, right? You need well, to focus on, on recruiting. You need to make sure you're, that you're doing the training. Oh, sorry. Especially, when you're the, especially when you're the head person up in that particular office, you're sort of the one running it, right? Yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent. So balancing your time and finding the time to, to recruit and then train. And then, as you know, I mean, uh, train, I mean, being a great, good manager is all about consistent coaching day in and day out. And um, I've never, I haven't come across a, on a, a sales rep or, or AE um, in my life that if they're really on one month, six months, they have the same process and they're, and they're on, on just in the same way. Like they need to, they need to be constantly trained and, and, and habits need to be reinforced um, and that, I mean, it's, it's tough when you're growing and scaling because you want to dedicate time enough time for everyone to succeed. Um, but you also need to be really re realistic and be able to make fast, you know, hiring and firing decisions. Um, How much time do you try to dedicate, you know, in that moment? Cause you're right. You know, you're running around with your, with, with, you know, your hair on fire. How do you force yourself as a leader to follow your process? 
right? <laughs> right. This is this is you know, we're really good at teaching reps how to follow a process. Yeah, that's right? a great, great question for Paul. Yeah. So, and yeah. I, you know, you and I both have the luxury of having worked for Scott, so we could tell that story too in another podcast. <laughs> um, yeah, so, and he knows on, old on Scott. Another, right? On another knows, episode, it'll be all former VPs of sales who used to work for. Totally. Me. Oh my God, we could totally do that. So, but but seriously though, like. How do you do, how do you maintain that level of discipline as a leader to not let yourself get tugged into those other things that will always come along and try and tug us? Sure, sure. I mean, uh, I mean, obviously having, you know, a, a leader, leaders that, you know, really, uh, did you find that? Um, that really hold you accountable to what you need to do is important. But I mean, a big part for me personally is really like, I'm, I'm a big planner. Um, at the beginning of the year, the first, one of the first things I do is I write down my annual goals. I do the same thing on a weekly basis. When I walk into the office every day, I write the three things that I'm going to do. Um, sometimes I'll, I'll get too ambitious and I'll write five things to do, do but that kind of keeps me on track. And then you got to live and die by a calendar. Um, and in the same way that, you know, a good sales rep kind of structures their day in a way that, you know, in the morning, um, they, you know, if they get in early, they're going to prospect. And then, you know, by 9am, they're, they're hitting the phones or sending out, you know, in mails or whatever it is. Um, you know, they're scheduling their, their product demos probably later in the afternoon or the e evening. Uh, they're closing calls. I got this one. From, I, got, uh, I got all that. So I'm going to, I'm going to yeah. interrupt you because I want to, I want to on this, right? Um, Cause look, we can all, you know, we can all make our calendar look really pretty. Mine's color coded, red, yellow, green for urgency and, and negative stuff and all that kind of stuff. What I feel like I'm hearing you say is I learned how to say no to other things. I learned how okay. to say no to distractions. Yep, how yep. do you say no to that distraction? How do you even decide whether that is worthy of your attention how do you say no? What do you do when it's someone like Scott, who's now your SVP and they're asking for time? How do you say that up the management chain so that you can be professional? You know, I, I know how to do it with Scott. I know what I would say, but yeah. I'm curious how you've coached yourself to say no to other things or other people. Yeah, a hundred percent. So that, that, that's a great point. Well, and so the short answer is um, I'm, I can be almost uh, disrespectfully uh, ignorant of, of uh, emails and Slack messages. Like I just, I, and I kind of make a conscious effort to set the expectation that if you send me an email or a Slack or a text, that does not mean that you're going to get an immediate response. Like I, I do that from day one. Um, now, obviously there's situations where um, there's a fire, but my, my thought process, if it's a fire, you need to get, you know, you get up from your desk and you'll talk to the person or you pick up the phone and call. And that, if, if it's really important, then they're going to, they're going to do that. But it's really setting the expectation from day one that, you know, you're going to have your priorities are number one. Um, I can't remember where I heard it from, but a really good quote that I heard was your email inbox is a good source of where to see where other people should think you should spend your time. Right. Um, and if, if you let that dictate your day, you're never going to get anything done that, you need to get done in your priorities. And as a leader, that's, I mean, that's, that's what you're there for. You, 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 your job is to basically execute on what you know, on what you think you need mm -hmm. to get done. Um, right. And if, and if, and if your leaders can't trust you that, then you're, 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 there's probably other issues, right? So how do you coach back to your leadership, right? Like, so you came along in a time where Scott had, it was, it has always been a good leader, but it wasn't his first rodeo in terms of leadership. He understands how to run a team. And, you know, he, he 
I agree with you. He, once he gives you the chance, you got the trust, right? It's sort of, you have the trust ball from day one until you drop it. Right. Mm -hmm. And even then Scott will still let you pick it back up and help you. What do you do with those less experienced managers? Ever had that experience where you kind of had to sort of coach the managers to like, dude, stop, this is my priority. I need to be with my team. Have you ever, any advice? I just want to yeah. give this advice yeah. to leaders and sales managers who are stuck in that mental management role who feel like, you know, when upper leadership asks for something, it's like you better be, you know, Mr. or Mrs. Johnny on the spot and answer it because they're asking, which is not always the case. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that, that, that's, that's a good, good question. So I, I think the main thing there is, uh, I, I think it's really unfair as leaders when you don't give, when you aren't really specific and give timelines on when you want things to be accomplished and done. Right. So, you know, you'll have uh, managers or CEOs or it doesn't matter who it is. And they'll say, Hey, I need you to get this done for me. Um, and my first question is always, okay, when do you need this, need this by? Because I want to make sure that I can take control of when things are going to get done. And then the same thing back. So when I'm talking to a manager and for example, you know, that I, I want, I need to make sure that there's spending time call coaching or one-on-ones I'm going to actually say, Hey, look, um, you know, Glenn or Scott, um, part of the, part of what you need to do to get your team back in track is you need to do more, more time call coaching on the cl closing calls. So um, I want to see you blocking out time and actually adding yourself to, to your reps, closing calls on the calendar and things like that. So I think, I think a lot of it has to do with just being really specific and giving timelines on what, what you're asking for, from, for people. Um, and that solves most of it. Um, but I think, I think vagueness is the enemy of any, of any leader or in, in manager relationship. You need to be really uh, specific. How much different do you think it was? Making the Sorry, lead. Scott, you're uh, quiet. Can you hear me now? Yep. How much different do you think it, it was um, making the leap from, you know, director of sales, kind of being a, a GM and running a satellite office to becoming a VP of sales and, and building, you know, this company from scratch, you know, basically like, like you've done for the last couple of years. How, how big was that, that gap? How much sure. did, it, did it stretch you? Sure. So, I mean, it obviously stretches you a lot. Um, but so it, it's kind of funny. It's kind of counterintuitive e each step. So the way I look at it, or, and one of the things I tell people that want to get into management or want to make that next jump to director or to VP is, you know, I think that I, th I feel like they look, a lot of people look at a VP of sales. Um, and especially if they're spending a lot of time with the product team or the CEO or management teams and meetings, like if you're a sales rep, you don't really know what they, what they do. And you think that being a VP of sales is what you see. So when really it's a little counterintuitive. So as a manager, the best managers are really almost like super reps, right? They're like the quarterbacks on the teams that are on, on the phone, phones uh, in the morning to get the guy, guys going. They're, they're doing uh, closing calls. They're doing trainings. But they're, they're almost like – it's like they're out there on the field with the team. Similar thing with the, the, the best directors. Like the best directors are really super managers and really they're operating as sort of an example and, and managers helping co-manage the team. And then once you get to a v, VP of sales, it's kind of, kind of similar. You want to make sure that you're not, you're not distancing, you're distancing yourself too much from, from the reps. And then the other, and then the part that stretches you, I found is it's not about managing um, sales reps or managers. Cause that doesn't really change. Obviously you get more experience along the way. But the part that is a stretch and that you learn more, more about is how to manage up and how to manage across departments and how to properly leverage your business partners. Um, 
and building relationships with you know these key key stakeholders in this group, the, each group. That's that's probably what, the. Yeah. What, what what's a what's a simple tip or two for somebody who's maybe um, you know struggling in their VP of sales role right now uh, and needs to kind of reset the the relationships or you know somebody who's just going into this role for the first time and has never had to you know work directly alongside the vp of customer success or the cfo or the vp of marketing what what are a couple easy ways to nurture and build that relationship that that might not be so obvious sure so um yeah, that might not be so obvious. I think, I think, well, this one, the main thing isn't necessarily that it's not obvious. It's just hard to do. I think the first thing is when you're talking to, especially someone in customer success, you need to forget everything that you think you know about their job because you're not the expert they are. And that's, that's sort of one of the classic examples. You know, you have the, the there's a classic in a lot of companies, a rift between customer success and sales, you know, customer success does good does good when sales does good, but when they do bad, it's because the wrong expectations were set and vice versa. You know, you have that whole mess. But one of the things you need to do is you really need to approach that relationship. Like they're the expert and you're there to learn from them from day one. Um, and you're asking questions like, like, okay, so what is the best way that I can support you and your team? And what are the top things that you're seeing from the, you know, from customer feedback that you think that we need to address in the sales process? So it's really genuinely looking at, at them with curiosity and like they hold the answers. And not only is that in, in your best interest in, ter in terms of just better good cooperation and relationships, but that's how you actually develop yourself as a leader. That's how you get a, a free MBA and how customer success, marketing, product, operations works is genuinely asking them for the answers. And when they see that, not only, not only are you, are you going to be able to help, uh, is it going to help your teamwork, but they're going to want to help you a lot more because they know you're coming from a place where you're going to be able to work together and make some real movements on things that we're trying to focus on. That's cool. I want to, I want to shift this because, you know, it's, this is the cool part I think about um, us doing this podcast is that we often get to uh, talk to people who we've worked with or worked for, or who've worked for one of us. Um, Scott, I, I want to go back to when you first met Paul, right. At an interview. And, yeah. and I want to know, like, what were the things that aside from surfing, like I knew he probably had the job once you found out he was a surfer. Right? Yeah. <laughs> right. yeah. That's my only criteria. Right. <laughs> um, but and, and I'm asking this because I want other people to, because I know, Scott, you look at things differently than a lot of other people. So that's why I'm asking the question is, what were the things that made you go, okay, I want, I want Paul on the team, right? In the beginning, maybe in the interview process. And then when a week later, two weeks later, three weeks later, a month, six months later, were you like, man, I'm really glad I put Paul on the team. Like, like there was something that you just saw a click with him. And I'm just trying to teach it the other way too. Yeah, I'm I'm going back almost a decade now, trying to trying to think about this. If you can believe that, Paul, uh, you know, when I met Paul, he was just coming from his stint um, at Yelp, um, and so I felt that there was a ton of similarities and parallels to the business that they had, what we were going to try to accomplish at Main Street Hub. So I was struck right away by what I felt was relevant experience. But the, the thing about Paul that I think is quite unique is um, he has a way of being really animated and fired up, but maintaining an even keel at the same time. He doesn't, he doesn't get 
real angry and upset. He, he's like a long wick, if you will. <laughs> um, and I think that's kind of rare because a lot of sales leaders in my, in my experience who get real animated and, and excited and, you know, can kind of whip a crowd into a frenzy, <clears throat> you know, when things aren't going that well, the opposite is also true. They get, you know, loud and kind of negative and, um, you know, they're just really riding the, the how highs. Did you, how did you figure that out about him though? Like, like that, to some extent that feels like, oh, that's when I knew I found a good guy because he's got this long whip. But sort of going uh, back. I, I, I figured that out quickly. You know, just how did you figure that out quickly? That's what I want to know. Well, I mean, you pay attention to somebody's demeanor, number one. You know, how, how they speak, how, like what their cadence is, how fast they talk, how, how loud or how soft that they talk. Um, you listen to them tell stories about certain things. You ask questions designed to kind of poke the bear a little bit. Oh, I don't exactly remember what I said, but I, I'm probably, I'm pretty confident that during the course of a couple of conversations with Paul, I purposely tried to say something that would get under his skin a little bit or like, disagree with what would just, just, even if it wasn't Paul, what are some of those questions? Because I think people would love to hear that kind of stuff. Well, now, <clears throat> nowadays, if I was interviewing Paul, I, I might say, you know, how do you feel about remote <clears throat> uh, sales folks? This is like a hot, hot topic that's out there. And I might take the opposite position of whatever he says, regardless of what I believe. Um, and just try to see how he responds to, uh, you know, an, an argument or a disagreement, um, you know, if you, if you will. Yeah, Paul, I think, let me cut, let me cut in there real quick. So yeah, I, I want to hear Paul's side of this. Maybe he probably remembers the story, so you're like, he's nothing like <laughs> Yeah. So, yeah. So I think, I think one of the things, well, there's, there's definitely some specifics. I think I had a, we had a really strong um, senior sales manager too, that you also helped, uh, helped me get, get ready. Um, Kobe, who was awesome. But I think one of the things that you do a really good job of, of Scott, and I've kind of taken with every place is you do a really good way. You have a really good way about sort of enticing and sometimes instigating like people to, continue to break through their barriers and go to that next level and that, that next level. Like the, the, the quote I always hear in my head from you is you, you just find a new gear. Like that's the, that, that's the answer. You find a new gear. And I know that that's not, that's not specific. So I'm going back behind or a little bit against what I was saying earlier about being specific. But I think that when you have this mindset, when you're testing your managers, where you have this relentless, relentless focus on improvement or moving the needle on whatever it is you're focused on, um, there's some people that will sort of say, well, well, what the hell? And, you know, they'll go, they'll go the other way, way about it. And then there's some people that will take it as a challenge and be thoughtful and say, okay, well, even if I know that you're messing with me a little bit, like, let's actually talk through, how do we, how do we get, get there? How do we, you know, double our quotas or whatever it, it may, may be. Um, and that's one of the things I think you've done a really good job. And I think good leaders do and, and sort of test their managers. So actually, let me give you a, let me give you a test that, that I actually like to do um, for a first time manager. So I hope I pass this test. If, unless I am convinced that you are like the next, you know, Scott least times 10, I'm going to give you the first big test in management. The first big test on whether or not you're a manager is I'm going to have you interview for management and then you're not going to get the position. That's Say that a, again. Scott, that's a Scott thing all the time. Scott does Wait. that all the time. And, and, and you know, that now, now I, some people are thinking to themselves, man, that what, what an asshole, but there's obviously a way you do it. So, 
So part of it is that what you want to do is you want to do that kind of early. It's sort of part of the grooming process for a new manager, right? So if you're looking at, you know, a young, hungry rep and they're one of your top guys and, you know, they're hitting sales targets and people are going to them and, you know, listening to their calls or, you know, emulating what they do, you're, you're going to say, hey, you know, I, I think this guy's ready. But really like six months or three months before you think he's ready or it's a realistic thing, part of the business, then you give him a shot, you know, in a set of interviews and you have him, you know, sort of show you his stuff and, you know, take him through a slide deck of how he would build his team and what the culture would be and all that stuff. And you get to sort of, you get to sort of test run it. You know, they put in all this effort and then at the end of it, you know, you give him a couple days and you say, Hey, look, um, I'm sorry, but we're, we just, we don't need a manager yet at the right time. You know, there's a few things we want to focus on and just sit and watch and see how they ha have that conversation. Let, let them sort of, you know, to Scott's point, not all, in fact, it's very rare for salespeople to have a long wick. Um, and, and by the way, it's okay if you get a little bit upset, like if you, if you get really frustrated and you threaten to quit, like right after that, that doesn't necessarily mean that you're done, but I want to see you be able to come back full circle. And if that is the, if that is your reaction, then you know, you just extended your timeline. You're just showing that you, you know, you have some, you have some learning to do. So, um, so, so that's worthy. So it's worthy of even saying to some managers or some leaders to say, Hey, look, it's February. You clearly have growth opportunities set up for later this year start putting some feelers out of, Hey, we're going to start the interviewing process. We're not sure where we're headed yet, but you know, we at least want to be able to start that process. And if you do it well, right. And don't piss off people, you could start to do that now to groom them so that in May, when it is time, they'll be better prepared when it really is their shot. And yeah, I'm not exactly. saying do it in a negative. I'm not I'm also not advocating let's fuck with people's heads and let's do it even yeah. though it's never a job. Like, don't do that. that. That is a terrible thing to do to somebody, but. Yeah, of course. And let me, and let me put a little more context there too, because there, there have been situations, there have been times where people just surprise the hell out of you. And you're like, wow, like actually this guy's ready and you pull the trigger early and it turns out to be a great situation. So it's not like you're setting someone up to fail. It's about say putting someone in a position where they're going to face some serious adversity and then how do they deal with it you know what i mean um so yeah but yeah that's that's a, that's a great point because you know there's some people who say oh, i know that's manipulative whatever and it's like no it's, it's not manipulative that's coaching that's putting someone in a real life situation you know a, a quote-unquote live fire scenario that by the way you're going to go through time in and time again as, as as a manager um and if and if you're you know if you're one of the sales reps that's sort of sitting at home and thinking to yourself like man, I can't believe you would do this. Like that's, that's messed up. You know what I mean? What happened to transparency? It's like, okay, well, why, how, why do you feel that way? Right? Like what, what, what is it? It's sort of triggering you inside. That's thinking to yourself, like, I, I don't see, I don't see how that's going to drive a good result because being tested as a leader is, is one of the, one of the most, most guaranteed things. And I mean, it's more guaranteed than death and taxes. Like you are going to be tested more as leader than any other role that you could take as a, as a company, especially as a sales leader. Yeah. I think, yeah. I think we've got a Nick new name. I think you're going to officially be Paul Wick instead of <laughs> Paul instead Klein of from all this. Instead of John, right? Yeah. I like that. Where do you, where like, do you see, where do you see um, the sort of sales profession headed? You know, that there was all this talk in the last two months in particular about what are some of the trends that are going to um, pick up steam? What are some of the patterns and things that we used to hold true that are going to drop off? Do you have opinion on any of that stuff? 
Um, I mentioned, yeah, I, I mentioned the remote work thing. Even like I'm, I'm curious now that I that I mentioned that. Like, is that a part of your plan as you think about what kind of opportunity and what yeah. team you'll build next? Sure, sure. So I think um, as I've as I've kind of gone on in my career, I think one of the things that I've I've come to realize more and more is just how important in general the the act the real happiness is to your team like i mean people talk about motivation and goals and accountability like if your team isn't happy in, in like enjoying um what they're what they're doing and i know that sales is a tough profession to enjoy all the all the time um but yeah there's cer there's certainly a lot more chatter about motivation than there is about happiness and joy yeah, exactly. But I mean, the, the happy, I mean, you can't be motivated to do anything if you're not happy with, with yourself and your current situation. And let me, I want to give you a shout out, uh, Scott, Scott. I mean, one of the, one of the most impactful posts that I, that I ever saw you make was when you said, um, you've been trying that you've been trying these new spiffs where rather than spiffing out contests or month or paying people for sales performance, you would, you would spiff out money for people to make improvements in their life, like yep. getting cigarettes. And yep. that, that's fucking awesome. Like, if you can make a meaningful impact on the mental and physical well and, and even spiritual oh, for yeah. some people well-being of your team that's going to drive things more than anything so i think i mean i mean yeah and we we can talk about things like um you know how is sales trending like is it not going on linkedin and email and slack and all yeah. these other things but so, but so, so is, it, is a trend going to be maybe that you know sales leaders need to embrace more of this um, almost holistic kind of kind of thinking, right? More 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 humanity, more more balance, less go 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 all the time, and more like, hey, how you doing? Yeah. And can I and can I help you feel better and and therefore do better? I just spoke on this yesterday, literally forty eight hours ago, less than forty eight hours ago, at um, you know the AAISP event in Florida. We're talking about management and that the future of management is going to rely solely on the ability of the manager to be human. And um, we're, particularly as the younger generation comes in, it's expected of them. They've been raised to talk about their feelings. We have been raised to ignore them. At least Scott and I were, right? Mm -hmm. push, that, push that shit away, push it down, go back out there and compete. When in fact, we all probably all yearned for a little bit more tender love and care. So. I don't think it should go all the way to the other extreme, but I see it happening now and I'm starting to, you know, I certainly advocate for it a lot. Um, it's, it's Scott knows. So um, I have a question for you, Paul, any manager, and it could be Scott, but any manager ever do that for you? Like where you were like, Oh my God, this person gets me. They got my back. They also got my front. Like, I don't want someone to just have my back. I want them to have my front and my sides. Like anybody, ring true for you um yeah i mean this is where i've been really really lucky i mean obviously scott's an awesome leader and i mean we we did a lot of great work together um he, and he's a guy that you can you feel like you can approach not just about your and this kind of goes to what i was saying not just about sales stuff but life stuff because you know he understands like many good leaders understand that a lot of times like when there's when the productivity isn't there the motivation is there it has nothing to do with work or what they're doing on the phone it has to do with something completely different outside and in a lot of ways you're you're you know you're part parent part mentor part psychologist so um to yeah so the the answer is yes i've been lucky i think i can't really think of a boss um that i didn't feel like i could have a 
real personal conversation like like that. I mean, right from my first manager, um, Katie Sullivan, who's had an awesome career career um, at Yelp, to the director of that office, Dennis, to Scott Lease, to Mandy Cole. I mean, everyone that I've worked worked with at Coverwall. I mean, I've had a lot of really awesome execs, um, and that and that that isn't always the case. Um, uh, but yeah, I mean, that's a huge huge part of 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 why I am who I am today and, and my approach to leadership. You, because I think, are, are you willing to share something where someone helped you with something outside the office that made life better for you? Yeah, let me, uh, you know, I, let me, let me ponder that for a second. I'm sure I can think of some good situations. Um, I, you know, actually, yeah, yeah. Let me, let me, let me, let me give you one. So I think, I think one of the one of the biggest things is that everyone deals with, especially in their in their twenties, is it, it has a massive impact. Is our breakups, um, and just you know relationships and things like that. And um, my first manager, um, Katie, did an awesome job of just being sort of there for me and sort of helping me understand what was what was going on and like push me in a certain direction. Um, so, I mean, this isn't about dating, but that, that'd probably be the bit, that'd probably be the one. Um, what is it, <clears throat> what is it like telling your team for you? Sorry, you, you broke up for a second. What, what, what is it, for you, what is it like telling your team that, uh, you know, your time there is done and it's time for you to move on and accept your next challenge? And I, I'm, I've, I've done this many times now. Um, I was talking to a, a woman in Austin who is feeling super guilty and like dreading telling her, her team that she's moving on to take a different leadership role. And I can remember, I don't know if you remember this, but I can remember you and I were having steak dinner yeah. in New York City somewhere. I like took you to this nice restaurant on purpose, trying to butter you up before, before I gave you this bad news that uh, I was going to be moving on. I'm wondering what was that experience like for you i mean this is this is different in my opinion because you're the vp of sales you're the one who built this thing you're the one that took it to acquisition how yeah. what is it like having that conversation with the people who've worked so hard with you over the last few years yeah so i mean obviously it's not an easy conversation to have but i mean i really tried to focus on working to make my role redundant by the time that I was ready to leave. I mean, I knew that most likely I wasn't going to be at Coverwall for life. I also knew we were building something great. Um, and I think as a leader, you want to look back and say, I built something, but you don't want to build something that folds afterwards. You want to build, some, build something that goes on. And, and by yeah, the time that you're talking, yeah, you want exactly. to build something that's going to last. Yeah, yeah ex exactly. And, um, and, it's it's not easy, but I think that when you have the type of relationship with your team, which I I believe I did, is when you when you have when they know you, you're really real, um, and that you would like I'm not the type of guy if a rep comes up to me and says, "Hey, I have another I have another opportunity," like where I'm just automatically saying, "Okay, well, you shouldn't take it as a crap crappy company." Like I'm actually going to have a real conversation and walk them through my process and what I think yeah. is in their best interest to make yeah. that decision. Yeah. So. So when I, you know, when I'm, when I was having the conversation with, with every, everyone, um, and sort of like both individual, then as a larger group, um, it was, it was really simple. You know, I, I, I told them that, you know, I've spent my, my, uh, my entire career, the last, uh, you know, 11 years building hyper growth startups and, and, uh, getting people, you know, early stage companies from series A to B to C. And, 
you know, zero to, uh, you know, 50, 80 million ARR. And that, that's my sweet spot. That's where I can provide the most value to a company. And that's where I can make the, be- the biggest impact on the ecosystem, which is important, important to me. Um, Sound familiar, Richard? <laughs> yeah, but his willingness, his willingness of acceptance of where his sweet spot is versus the next step beyond it is slightly different. <laughs> Am I correct, Scott? Am I wrong? Oh, I don't know about that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, mean, I think I think I think it's an important point, and I don't think it gets talked about very much. It, there is a right way to walk away, not just a right time. Um, and there is a responsibility and and um, a burden almost for those in leadership to have to go have the conversation with people that they've worked with for a number of years often who've you know you know blood sweat and tears together and gone through struggles and challenges and like you've built really good relationships and some of these people have come to rely on you for you know help in their in their life and just be a rock for them and you've got to tell them like man that the time is right for me you know to move on so how do you intend to go about maintaining some of those relationships if at all um this is, I don't, this is not important to, to everybody, and I don't know that there's a right or wrong answer, but um, I have tried to make it a point to you know, stay connected to the people that I worked with the closest, and, and those people in particular that I felt like you know, had the most um, you know, potential, because I wanted to be a resource to them and, and, and continue to try to help them get to you know, the next level and, and, and maximize their potential. Do you have a plan for that? I know you said you're a planner. What, what is your plan to kind of continue to help the people that have worked for you for so, for so long and so hard, even though you won't be there anymore? Yeah, that's, that's a great question. I mean, I mean, I think the first thing is just in, in general, obviously being available, checking in with, in with people. I mean, we're in a connected age where it's so easy to have a text, a phone call, hop on FaceTime and just check in with people on how they're doing. And, and I think that in, in, we're alike, Scott, in that there's there's people that you know I built relationships with at every single company that you know I have a I have a continuous conversation with that I'm just always keeping in touch with, and then people that I check in with you know once every three months, and then people I check in with with once a year. Um, but I think I think that for this next step in my career, you know, the the podcast that you had with uh, um, John Barrows actually, I, I think I texted you after I listened to it, but kind of resonated with me when you were talking about how you kind of came to this, uh, this realization, you know, around the same time, uh, around the same time in ages, ages, me, we're like, wow, I actually know a lot about this stuff. And I, yeah. I can probably make just as much, if not a bigger impact by sharing that knowledge outside of whatever project I'm working on, which, which for me is, is, uh, is, is going to take some work. And actually one of the reasons why I wanted to take some real time away from a company, because that doesn't come as naturally for me as you would think for, for, uh, for many as a sales leader. Um, I don't enjoy, you know, sharing updates on social media or, you know, doing posts and stuff. I, I have a, I have this weird like feeling inside that like, I actually don't want to do it, but I know how important it is. And I know, I know how, good, yeah. how much impact that can make. So, so this um, is the next step of your, uh, your growth and, and evolution as a, as a leader it, and moving into, you know, being able to impact an entire community, not just one company. Exactly. Exactly. Um, and I think that while there's certainly a lot of, there's certainly a lot of content out there, 
um, there's definitely opportunity to continue to do, to do more, like more, just more depth of comp content. Like I think what you're, you're doing, um, especially for the sales profession, not just sales, but just startups. And, 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 and the one, the thing that gets me really excited about, and the, the part of my job that I enjoy the most is helping people to plan out what their career should look like. Um, regardless of whether it's someone like me who, look, I could have told you, you know, 10 years ago, Scott, I want to be a VP of sales by, you know, X, I want to, you know, and then I want to be advising and on the board of companies and, you know, maybe have my own consultancy by, by X time or, or they're figuring out and you're just helping them sort of go through that journey by identifying their skills and trying to point them in direction. Even if it isn't sales, by the way, I mean, I'm the best, I've been the best recruiter for every other department outside of sales at every company I've been at because I've, I'm, I'm good at, I, I think that I'm pretty good at identifying what people's strengths are. And even if sales isn't the right fit, where they could, where they could really make the biggest impact in the company. And that's one of the things I'm really passionate about is not just for sales, because I think that there's a lot of room for, for people to learn more about sales roles. You know, you can't major in sales in college. And I think that there's a, there's a huge gap of awareness, um, not just with young people, but in particular, um, women are, are, are really underrepresented um, minorities. So this, this whole notion of sort of introducing career pathing and, and sales and how that can shape is, is something that's really interesting. There is, there is actually now, you can get majors in sales now, not a lot of schools, but they do have them. Um, I think okay. Ohio University has it. Um, uh, I think uh, UT Dallas actually has it. Um, and those, those kids, I've, I've met them. The sales profession is so ripe for or need of people. Those kids are getting recruited out like in their junior year, like the way accountants used to be to the big five accounting firms. There's yeah. not, and, and these, these kids, they're coming out, they've studied challenger. They've studied spin. They've studied, you've accelerated their, the yeah, college yeah. has truly accelerated their ramp time at a knowledge level. Not it'll be interesting. It'll be interesting. To, it'll be interesting to see if if that cohort of sales folks is able to elevate the the bar. Totally agree. It'll be great training, training, <laughs> training that nobody else had. Yeah. Yeah. That, yeah. That's that's a great point. Um, yeah. Yeah. yeah that, it's been a decade, obviously, since I've been in college. So that that isn't that shouldn't surprise surprise me at all. I think I think that you'll definitely see some success. Only a from decade. Take wow, that was so long ago. Only a decade. <laughs> Yeah, fair, fair. I was in. I can actually say I was in college last century. <laughs> Touche. Oh man, yeah. Paul, before 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 we wrap up and get out of here, man, is what can we uh, what can we do for you right now? Man, what can you do for me right right how can, now? How can we be how can we be help helpful to you as you embark on this next? How low of a price does Scott need to give you so you come to surf and sales in two weeks? The yeah, guy's already got three surf trips planned. I'm going to, I'm going to bail on serpent sales and go with him. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say Bocas del Toro is, it's going to be firing around that time. So I'm, I'm going to be in Panama already, but um, you know what? Uh, yeah, actually, actually, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to do a revert reversal and, uh, and rather than I'm going to, I'm going to take that favor and save it for later. Cause I, I'm sure, I'm sure I'll need it. And instead um, I'll commit to, I know it's not going to be this surf and sales, but I'll, I, can, I can probably commit to the next one and the one after within the next 12 months, Scott lease, I will attend. Hey, you're, surf you're, and sales. you're on the records. Uh, surf yeah. and sales five is going to be in super Southern Mexico in September, by the way. Cool. Yes. Oh, oh, yeah, I, I was just going to say, let, can I consult on the destination and time? Yes. Though? Cause I need, yes. I need, a, I need at least head higher above. 
That's all. <laughs> this, this is how I know you're surfing way more than me. If it's clean and head higher above, I'm there. Yeah. Awesome. So, thanks, hey, for, Paul, uh, thanks, for, thanks for spending time with us, Paul. Congratulations on, on your success, and we'll be in touch, man. I know uh, once you take some time away, we, I'll be trying to help you figure out what's next. All right. Thanks a lot, guys. Yeah, Paul Wick Klein, everybody. Uh, thanks yeah, for joining us, Paul. <laughs> Have See a good one, fellas.